It is the fifth day of Christmas. Christmas celebration keeps going. So I don't know about you, but I've been working really hard to defy our culture. I've been working really hard to eat chocolate and dessert every single day. I've been working really hard to keep the celebration going and to find presents, open presents, go do a little bit of shopping still. Because I don't know how it happened, but our culture decided at some point that we're not going to celebrate the 12 days of Christmas anymore. We're just going to celebrate on one day, and then the day after, we're going to get sick of all Christmas music. And I resist that so strongly. I resist it because our Christmas, the celebration of God coming to us in Jesus, is bigger than just one day. We celebrate for 12 days, and so one of the ways that I practice my Christian faith is to keep the celebration going. Um, This year, we celebrated at home. Our family, we stayed at home. We usually try to drive and go see family, but two years ago, we drove across Oregon to Boise to see some family, and uh, we hit a deer on the way there, which was pretty terrible. People usually give me a lot of sympathy until I tell them that the deer was already dead and in the road when we hit it. But we, we tried, I tried to swerve. I missed most of it. Um, but we decided we were just going to stay home from now on. One of the things that I think you need to know about me as a pastor is I try not to use other pastors' sermon illustrations, right? So if I have a point, I don't I don't go to the internet and Google some sermon illustrations, and you can do that, and you can find sermon illustrations for whatever your points are. I always try to pull out points from my own life. I I feel like they're mine. I feel like it helps me understand them a little bit more. So for that reason, uh, you hear me talk about my kids all the time, and today is no difference, okay? (laughs) But I'm just saying these are my stories. This is who I am. One time we were out with our kids not long ago. We were at a a chicken joint, and we were having some chicken wings. And uh, I want to say that I know so much more than my kids know, right? I know so much more than my kids know about stuff. There are things that they do not know that I do know. Someday that's going to change. Someday that's going to flip, and it's going to be painful. And I know many of you have gone through that pain. But For now, I know so much more than my kids. They depend on me for that kind of knowledge. And um, we got to be careful when we dole out that knowledge because some knowledge our kids are not ready for. You guys know what I'm talking about. One day, we were eating chicken wings, and we're just going to town on these chicken wings with Clementine, six, Lewis, who's four, and we're eating them. And then my son says, Dad, what is this? Yeah, this is where this is going. <laughs> I said, well, it's chicken. And he said, well, what? And my, my son's only concept of chicken is from books and farms. And he has this little stuffed animal chick. And so this is all he knows about chicken. And he goes, this is chicken? And I go, well, yeah. And he says, how? And I said, well, you know, we raise them on farms. And then we, we kill them. We pull them apart, we deep fry them, and then we eat them. I know. And I look at my son, and little, little, you know, tears start to well up in his eyes. I look over at my daughter. She's got a drumstick in both hands, going to town. No big deal. (laughs) She loves chicken wings. It's her favorite thing. 
some information our kids are ready for and some information our kids are not ready for. And it's up to us to be able to understand when they are ready to handle that kind of information because they depend on us for that knowledge. My kids depend on me for knowledge about my life, about who I am. They can't go and research their dad. They can't figure out where I came. They don't they can't do that. If they want to know anything about me, it has to come from me. If they want to know anything about who I am, I have to reveal it to them. They have to learn it from me. I think about the distance and knowledge between me and my kids, how much more I know than my children do. Then I think about the distance and knowledge between God and us. It must be infinitely more. God knows so much more than anything. Uh, we can't even get a glimpse of what God knows. God is higher, unfathomable, unfathomable. But so that, so then, if we are going to know anything about God, if we're going to know anything about God, we depend on God to reveal it to us. We can't research God. We can't go and find out stuff about God behind God's back. If we want to know anything about God, we have to be in a relationship with God. We have to say, God, show me what you want to know. Otherwise, we're liable to get it wrong. We're liable to get it wrong. The Christian faith is based on this, this understanding of revelation, that God reveals God's self to us. Thomas Aquinas, uh, called the theologian uh, in the scholastic period, medieval, medieval times, um, he called it, he said that God reveals God's self in two different ways. We call it general revelation and specific revelation. God is always revealing who God is in general ways. We can find out a little bit about God because everything God created says something about the Creator. Everything God created says something about the Creator. We all know this. We all get a glimpse of this. Anytime we get the chance to be away from anything that's human-made, you know what I'm talking about? When you're out in nature, when you're far away from lights, when, when you can see all the stars, when you are in nature, there's this sense of awe and reverence that washes over you, and you get a sense and a feeling of the one who created all this. That's general revelation. When you see something untouched by humans and you go, this is beautiful, you get a sense that the person who created it loves beauty. When you look at the stars, and, and as the ancient people looked at the stars, they organized their lives around the stars. They organized their calendars around the moon and the stars. They organized their days. They could know where they are on the earth based on the stars. And when they looked at the order and the beauty of the stars, they got a glimpse and a notion that the one who created the stars and put them into place loves order and beauty. But this is just general. This is just general revelation. It doesn't tell us how the Creator wants me to live my life. It doesn't tell me what the Creator has in store, what's, what God is going to do for the world. I can't figure out all that. And all this general revelation, it requires a lot of interpretation. And how do I know that what I'm thinking about God is what God is actually like or what I'm just hoping God is like? There's a lot of difficulty with general revelation. And so Christians have said 
There's, God has done something special for us. God has done something special for us. The God who is unknowable, the God who knows more than we could possibly fathom, has stepped out of the unknowable and has stepped into our knowable world, has chosen a time and a place to be limited to, to dole out some information about God that we can understand on a level that we can understand. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. Now, God coming to us in Jesus gives us some idea, some deeper, closer, specific ideas about what God is like, what God loves, what God doesn't love, what God can do, what God can't do. It gives us specific ideas of who God is. And so if we want to know who God is, we have to reform what we think about, or we have to take a look again at Jesus Christ, allow Jesus to form our ideas about the creator of the universe. This is Christianity. This is what John is telling us in his gospel. I read the prologue just a moment ago. John's gospel was written decades after the other gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they wrote their gospels. They were collecting stories from other disciples. They were collecting stories from family members, and they were trying to write a cohesive story, each with their own flavor, on the story of Jesus Christ. John's gospel was written decades after that. They say, oh, we've got all those stories. John's gospel just says, I'm not going to write all the miracles of Jesus. I'm going to choose seven. I'm going to focus in on who Jesus is and what this means for God. And so he starts his prologue with, in the beginning was the Word, hearkening back to the beginning of the Jewish scriptures, which also starts in the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the Word. This is an important word for Jewish people and for the Roman society that they lived in. Now, the word word, debar in Hebrew, uh, it's what God uses to create everything. Think about the creation story. God speaks to the void, and earth is made. God speaks to the darkness, and light is made. God creates through God's spoken word. The Word of God is involved in creation. More than that, the Word of God comes to prophets through the Old Testament. The Word of God came, or the Word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The Word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. The Word of the Lord inspires the people and the prophets to correct the people. So for the Jewish people to begin this book and say, to say, in the beginning was the Word, was crucial. The Jewish people are like, yeah, in the beginning, God's Word was there. God's Word created everything. God's Word moves and acts in this world. God's debar in Hebrew. But the word word also means something for the Roman society. In Greek, the word is logos. We get our word logic from it. In Platonic philosophy, logic and rationality is what holds the whole world together. In, in Greek philosophy, it's logic and rationality that keeps everything together. It is the highest level of virtue, logic. And so, we can kind of worship the logic, worship the logos, 
the logic that created and holds all things together. John starts his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and all the Jews are agreeing, all the Romans are agreeing. I like where this is going. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. All right, I like this. Of course the Word was with God. Jews and Greeks, Romans, they are agreement. All right, in the beginning was the Word, the logic was with God, the Creator of all things. Next line, and the Word was God. Ooh, this is interesting. This is interesting. If you're Jewish, this excites your, uh, your mind a little bit here. It says, oh, God doesn't just have actions. God is God's actions. God doesn't just have words, but God is God's words. This is interesting. I like where this is going. The Romans and the Greeks are starting to get, get their ears perked up as well. The logic is God. There is no being or source. There is nothing higher than logic. Okay, I'm listening. I'm intrigued. The story then goes on, and then the Word, the Debar of God. Who is God? The logic, the logos, the rationality of the universe. Then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is who we are as Christians. We believe that God came to us and revealed to us who God is in such a way that we can understand who God is. And so, for us, the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, this is the information about God that we need. This is the revelation that we need from God. He goes on to say that those who believe in Him are authorized to become children of God, born not of blood or by sexual desire, but born from God's Spirit. We are welcomed in to be children of God. And then he ends it with this really strange phrase. He says, no one, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. But God the Son, but the Word made flesh, but Jesus Christ reveals God to us. What is John trying to say to his audience? He's trying to say to his Jewish audience, whatever you thought you knew about God, God is giving us new information. God is surprising us with something new in Jesus Christ. Rethink what you know about God based on Jesus Christ. He's saying to his Roman audience, whatever you thought about order in this universe, whatever you thought about the pantheons of God, whatever you thought about logic and rationality, rethink it based on Jesus Christ. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but in the words of Yoda, you must unlearn what you have learned, right? The Christian Scriptures is saying God is doing something absolutely new in Jesus Christ. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know what the creator of the universe is, the source of life and love is like, you must look at Jesus Christ. He is the center. He is what we know about God. He is what God has doled out for us. Now, 
Jesus won't answer all of our questions about God, won't answer all of our questions about the future, won't answer all of our questions about what is unknowable, but maybe that's because we can't handle it all. Maybe we could, our brains are a little too small for all of infinity. Our brains are a little too small for everything that is knowable. And so God has chosen to give us what we can handle. And what we can handle is glorious. That God loves us so much to become one of us, to know what it is like to be a child, to know what it is like to be a teenager, to know what it's like to be hurt and to be heartbroken, to know what it's like to have friends and to know what it's like to be betrayed, to know what it's like to be accused of doing something you haven't done. God comes to us to be like us and then to show us the extent of God's love, which is to die like we die, but then also to show the extent of God's power, which is that even death cannot contain God or God's purposes in this world. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is who we are as Christians. As we move into this new year, I encourage you to let go of previously held notions about God. Even if you've been a Christian your whole life, even, even if you, like, all I know about God is from what I learned in Sunday school, I want to encourage you to let that go. I want you to re-examine Jesus. I want you in this next year to say, I'm going I'm to become a student of Jesus I'm going to read the scriptures. What access do we have to Jesus now? The, the primary access we have to Jesus is the scriptures. Those that followed Jesus, those that knew him in the flesh, um, when they were starting to die off, they said, we got to put this on paper. We got to start putting this on paper. We got to figure out who Jesus is. We got to carry the story on for other folks so that they can know Jesus and so that they can know God. So in this next year, I want you to think about your commitments to knowing Jesus and following Jesus, being a student of Jesus. You can't do it without reading from the apostles, the New Testament. So each week, I put together a, a Grow, Pray, Study guide, a, a, a list of readings that keep you in the scriptures, but also give you some ideas and some thoughts to go along with those scriptures. If you're not using scripture daily, if you're not uh, using a devotional in any way, shape, or form, I encourage you to go to our website. Uh, under the Grow tab, you'll find Grow, Pray, Study Guide, and there it's updated every week. We also have a printed out version that's on the back of the first services um, uh, order of service, but we keep those, and you can pick those up on Sundays as well. But if you don't have a way of staying close to scripture, it's going to be really difficult to understand who Jesus is. And if you don't understand who Jesus is, it's going to be really difficult to understand the will, the desires, and the direction of God. As we move into this next sermon series of God Can't, we're going to be focusing in on Jesus and maybe letting go of some of the notions that we get from Greek philosophy or other places about what God can and cannot do and take a closer look at Jesus and see if that gives us any hints about how God works, and what God is up to in this world. Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of John, towards the end of the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. I think in our uh, world, in our world, we've made that about who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. I don't think that that's what Jesus is talking about there. I think Jesus is saying God is unknowable, unfathomable. But if you want to know something about God, if you want to know something about the character of God, here I am. In that same conversation, Philip, one of his disciples, says, how can we know where you're going? How can we know what the Father looks like? Show us the Father. Show us the Creator. And Jesus says to Philip, Philip, how long have we been hanging out? (laughs) How long have you known me? If you know me, then you know what you need to know about God. If you know me, then you know the Father. In this next year, I encourage you to know Jesus more deeply, to get involved in those practices that helps you become a student of Jesus, or another word for student is a disciple, somebody that follows Jesus' teachings and gets to know Jesus in order to get to know the God of the universe. It's what we do as Christians. It's what we do when we come to this table together. Um, One little excursus uh, topic here. We are unique as Christians. We believe that God has given a specific revelation in Jesus Christ. We believe that um, in Jesus we know something specific about the nature of the creator of the universe. Because of Jesus, we believe that God loves all people. Because of what God has revealed in Jesus, we believe that God is speaking to all people in all cultures, in all religions, in all places of this world. Because of what God has revealed in Jesus, we believe there is only one God. And so if there are people from other religions, people from other cultures, people that don't know Jesus, if they have an experience with God, well, there's only one God. So that experience is the same God, that experience is with the same God that I worship, right? Because we are unique, we have another avenue. We have a different way of looking at God. I believe is the way of looking at God. But it doesn't mean that everybody else is wrong. It doesn't mean that all of their experiences with God are nullified. It doesn't mean that they are not experiencing the God of the universe who is revealed in Jesus Christ. They are. They are. And we have no right to think that we as Christians are better than any other religion, that we as Christians are better than other people. But we are different and we believe that God has shared something unique and specific in the person of Jesus Christ, and we don't give that up either. That's just a little bit of a excursus as we talk about the uniqueness of Christianity. We are different, but God is absolutely speaking to all people through all religions. As we share uh, relationships with people of other religions, as we share space with people of other religions, we can share how we are different and how we see things differently without putting each other down. I think that that's what Jesus would want us to do, honestly. As we come to this table together, we celebrate that Jesus is present to us, Jesus has come to us in uh, the child in the manger, and that Jesus, who is risen, is present to us now, guiding us in all ways of love, hope, and faith.